Once again, it's uh, Thursday, August 4th, and it's 7.04 p.m., and you're listening to KNKRLP 96.1 FM, Kohala. Uh, if you feel so inclined, you would like to share some of your opinions or have questions, 
you can call the uh, studio phone at 884-5657. That's 884-5657. And we welcome and thank you for inviting us into your homes this evening. For those of you that, I don't know if people got radios anymore, you know, I, I guess. But they, they listed on their computers hmm. yeah, or their phones. Uh. Anyway, uh, let me introduce our guests and then we'll go off to some announcements. Uh, we have with us uh, Kavika. Hey, how's it? Kavika, how's it going? I'm okay, fine. Thank you. All right. Thanks for uh, being here. I really appreciate it. It's good to have a backup, you know. <laughs> and uh, we have a special guest this evening. Uh, her name is Leslie Nugent. Aloha, Leslie. How are you doing? Aloha. Thanks for having me, Uncle Jeff. I'm glad to be here. Oh, boy. Okay. Thank you very much for that, Uncle Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's cool. I like that. You know, that's a, a very uh, honored uh, title. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very honored title. Thank you for that. The first time I heard it, some kids said, oh, Uncle Jeff. And I thought to myself, oh, my gosh, I've crossed that threshold. Yeah. From just being Coach Jeff, you know, like a younger guy, to Uncle Jeff was like, oh, wow. <laughs> you know, well, that's pretty cool. I guess we all go through that. Do you went through that? They have you gone? You know, yeah, oh, you're still young, Leslie. You didn't go through that where they call you Auntie Leslie. They do. Well, I get to work with a lot of young people. Oh, that's right. So sometimes yeah. they offer that respect. Oh, offer? <laughs> 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 when was the first time you were called Uncle Al? Uncle Kavika? No, no? You don't remember? No. Well, I don't remember the first time, but I remember. Well, like, I it took me by surprise. It, you know, you told me, like, oh, I've crossed into that twilight zone. You know? Oh. I have a different craft uh, industry. Um, you know, I, I asked my parents, oh, why do I call this guy Uncle? He's not my uncle. I don't know who he is. That's why you call him Uncle, because you don't remember the name. Yeah, that, mm. that's a good one. Okay. Yeah. 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 I was uh, walking on the side of the road uh -huh. on, on the parking lot. And this young local kid, uh, kind of long hair, kind of wild looking, he says, hey, uncle. <laughs> I appreciated that. Okay, anyway, we're getting off track here, but uh, let me just give you an update on the pool. Uh, I'm glad we have an update. You know, they... Bought the pump, installed the pump, it's all hooked up. And tomorrow, it's a big day, uh, they're having an electrician who's going to go and wire up the pump. And, you know, that, you know once they wire it up, then they're going to run it and, uh, you know, see what else needs to be done. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it won't be too long uh, from now where, you know, uh, everything should be running up and running. So that that's pretty good. I, I hope uh, uh, our main guy, who's in charge, they have a Kupuna softball tournament on Oahu. It's a big tournament, and so you know all all the guys are over there. So when he gets back, uh, we'll take the next steps, and you know it won't be long. I think everything's going to work out pretty good. But anyway, uh, that's what's happening in the pool. I don't know. Did you have anything? No. Okay. I don't know what else is happening in the community. Okay, but anyway, um, I invited Leslie to be here this evening, Kavika, and we had gotten into this discussion about agriculture, mm. you know, and you know, that's a topic that's a, that's a pretty hot button topic, 
out here in Kohala. Uh, you know, it's kind of like an ag community. But we're going to talking about uh, food sovereignty. Yeah. I know there's people, they talk about food security. Uh, that's, that's another topic because 90%, I think, of our food is imported, uh, shipped in, flown in. It's a different topic? Uh, food security? Yeah. No, I think it all comes under the heading of food. Okay. Yeah. What school you, you went? You what school eat? you went? McKinley, yeah? No. I learned on the streets. <laughs> okay, anyway, yeah, yeah, it's under the food. Well, anyway, uh, well, I, I, I got into this discussion with Leslie. Mm. You know, because she's, uh, what, what group? Are, oh, anyway, I'm I, let me back up. Leslie, why don't you, Leslie, why don't you introduce yourself? Sorry. Sure, thank you. Um, thanks again for having me. And, and yeah, we, we got, you know, I think that maybe we first met many years ago at the farmer's market, or maybe there's just been a thread of um, food and agriculture in our conversations over the years. And perhaps that's why I'm here in this hot seat here tonight. <laughs> um, but I originally grew up on the East Coast in Boston and um, just outside of Boston and also spent a lot of time in Vermont, fortunately, which is a lot more rural then it is urban and got and a lot of farms and uh, really um, Vermont is a state that has a lot of food security and really has a lot of conversations around um, creating equitable access to food for communities. Um, so I feel really fortunate for, for that experience that those were the first farms I worked on. Um, I come from a long line of nurses and healthcare workers and so my interest predominantly started with understanding health and human health and how do we be full and healthy and vibrant in our bodies and mm. I was interested maybe in studying things in the medical field, um, but then I wasn't quite ready for that professional, you know, commitment. And then interested in policy and seeing that our healthcare system, you know, it doesn't always provide the care that everyone needs, definitely not at an affordable rate. So interested in policy and understanding that, but not really wanting to dive into policy either. So I really began with where does health begin and what do we put in our bodies and where does that come from? And that really mm. turned me to the soil. So I didn't get to grow up um, farming or in deep agricultural community, but I found that as the answer to a lot of my questions. And that's kind of what led me out here um, to Hawaii and to Kohala um, back in 2010, was that desire to understand deeper the connection between humans and our health and our earth and where our food comes from. Um, and I was really inspired by the traditional knowledge of the Hawaiian people that connection that's still intact with mm. those traditional ways of caring for the earth and caring for each other um, in a harmonious way. I was really inspired by the potential of island communities to be self-sustaining within the resources that they have, kind of really inspired by Cuba and the healthcare and agricultural systems that took place there during the embargo, just really kind of um, urban agriculture and revitalizing agriculture in the country's side. So inspired by what is possible in island communities with resources that are available. Um, those were some of the reasons that, that led me here to Kohala and I, I didn't really know much about where I was coming or what I was doing, if I'm honest. And um, I just feel really thankful to have landed in this incredible community, which um, opened up my eyes in so many ways to what is possible. And um, from that point, there's just been a lot of opportunities to continue to grow and connect and learn and, and to give back. So. Um, so you've am. been here since 2010? Yes. And you've been involved in some aspect of agriculture and whatnot. Did, didn't you, uh, weren't you working with a, a farm group or 
uh, yeah. youth or something? I've worked with a, a few different farm groups. Um, I currently, I just came from a meeting. I sit on the board of um, Cho Global Natural Farming Hawaii. So we're a nonprofit. Oh, Cho. Cho Global, yeah. So the Korean. That's a Korean. The Korean natural farming. Have you ever met him? I've met Master Cho and gotten to study with him a few times and even had the great fortune to travel and study with him in Korea. No, really? Yeah. How about you, Kavika? Have you ever met the guy? Nope. Yeah. It's Fascinating. A, it's a system all about cultivating the, the fertility of the soil using the microorganisms that are present in our natural environment and also using what would normally be kind of waste products to make mm. fertilizers and things for the soil. So things that, you know, you all of our to, ancestors... You don't have to import it. You don't have to import Ma- it. Yeah, you make it, it local. Use the fish guts. Use the eggshells. Um, I mean, have you seen a fi- film or a short feature on yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah, Master Cho. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh, I attended its first presentation. Uh, David Ferdi's mm-hmm. uh, sponsored that. And uh, he speaks, well, he doesn't speak English. Well, maybe he does, but he had an interpreter. And uh, he was saying that I think about 80% of what he learned came from the Bible. Yeah, I was, I was sitting there, and he's talking about it, 80% of what he learned from fa- about farming, or what he does, mm. yeah, uh, came from the Bible. I, I guess he was a Christian. Uh, he didn't expand on that or go into depth about it. Uh, I wish he had. I was kind of interested. Like, oh, yeah, like where, you know? Um, but anyway, and the other thing that really impressed me was that guy was very... Uh, very animated. Like I remember, uh, you know, you always have in a group, you know, some guy knows it all, yeah. And so they they ask these questions just to ask, just to be noticed. I think. So he asked Master Cho a question, and Master Cho stood there and he looked at him, and then slowly he walked up to the guy, went behind him, raised his hand above his head, and brought it down around the guy's back. What? And then he walked back to the front. <laughs> yeah. You know, don't ask stupid questions. And then the guy asked another question a few minutes later. Master Cho walked back. That was the last question he asked. But that was pretty neat. You know, you got, you know, I guess the guy's trying to show off. Huh? And uh, he picked up on it right away. But anyway, yeah, Master Cho. Yeah, and I also have the opportunity to, to work with Uncle David Fortes and Kohua Pa'umua, and I get to... Um, do some of the natural farming practices there. And like you mentioned, I've had the opportunity to work with some folks younger than me in supporting them to learn these practices. One of the key highlights of of that style is um, using the microorganisms to really keep the pig pen and the chicken coop really clean so Mm -hmm. there's no smell and no flies. And so that's one of the the favorite features of the system. But um, as we see now with fertilizer prices rising and shipping prices rising and sort of lack of access, I think more than ever, it's people are interested in these methodologies. Uh, mm. the, uh, the natural, uh, creating your own natural fertilizers. Yeah, and I think it makes sense. systems that all of our ancestors, wherever they were from, had right. practices of building soil fertility and using what they had. And so we've kind of, some of us have come far away from that with industrial agricultural systems. And so mm-hmm. Master Cho's methods, they're, they're not brand new, but he's created a system that we can learn from today and implement in a really effective way. And cost-effective. And cost-effective, yeah. Remember, uh, Kavika, we had that guy from, uh, I think it was Kohala. What's that organization? I don't know. The guy was their agriculturalist or something. 
is a local guy, knew everything about Daryl. There is mm. And he was telling us, uh, he, was, he, he called in, and he was telling us, you don't feed the taro. He said, you feed the soil. He said, yeah, people, they, they, they try to feed the, the taro. He said, that's, that's not where it's at. He said, you got to feed the soil. The and then the soil would feed the taro. <laughs> I thought that was interesting. But anyway, yeah, uh, Master Cho. You know, um, for our listeners out there, I, I just want to read this definition because, well, I have to read it. Because I'm still trying to understand it, you know, fully. It, it's about uh, food sovereignty. It says food sovereignty is the right of peoples to healthy and culturally appropriate food produced through ecologically sound and sustainable methods, and their right to define their own food and agriculture systems. And that's from the group La Via Campesina. Uh, they had this. Uh, Back in 2016, it, I forget how many nations attended uh, on the topic of food sovereignty that was held in Wamanao. Yeah, this is back in 2016. And they had all these uh, pe indigenous people from throughout the world that gathered to talk about the topic of food sovereignty. But the thing, Leslie, that, you know, that attracted my attention is one, healthy and culturally appropriate food produce, yeah, and the right to define their own food and agricultural systems. That really touched me. And the, the reason for that is when I look at Kohala and when I, when I look at these young guys, you know, like Pukawa, uh, uh, these, the Rabangs, and oh, maybe not so young, but Bubu Galan, you know, and they're opening up Lois. Uh, Lois that had laid fallow for many, many years. You know, that their families had uh, raised uh, taro or kalo. Mm. Yeah, I use the word taro because my grandmother uh, went back and forth between Hanale and uh, Nihal. So she spoke with the T's. So growing up, uh, they didn't use K's. She was all T's. Yeah, so. But anyway, uh, yeah, so you have these people that are raising, you know, uh, taro. And it's very interesting. And so when I, I read this, you know, that they have the right to define their own food and agriculture systems. What's your take on that, Leslie? Yeah, thanks for bringing it to that level because I think that's really where um, where food sovereignty really begins. We can talk about it in this theoretical way, but truly um, indigenous peoples have been practicing food sovereignty without needing it to be defined in this kind of theoretical, philosophical way, right? It was just the way of living in relation with the earth and being a good steward and using traditional practices to tend. So I think that um, folks that work in the lo'i and that farm taro, I think that is so important and um, a reclaiming of that power. Mm an ability to not only um, nourish their families and communities through that process, but to continue to be in relation with ancestors and with Aina and um, keeping that sort of lineage intact. I think that's a key element of, of food sovereignty and that those folks have the autonomy and the ability to um, care for their place without outside forces coming in and dictating how that is to be done. Mm. Leslie, I have a question. Um, you mentioned you were, uh, I don't know if you were drawn here or how you happened to be here. Uh, from the East Coast, that's a long swim. 
or, you know, cross mile, I mean, cross country running. Uh, I took the train <laughs> okay. and then the plane. All right. Yeah. Um, so was it a spiritual uh, revelation or, or what, what do you mean led? Yeah, I think, um, I think, like I said, I had a lot of questions around human health and our food systems. Uh-huh. And so I think mixed with that, there was some, um, I think there were some romanticized ideas about island living and some just curiosity around that. Yeah. And also some realizing that being in the, in the environment that I grew up in, sort of in New England, there's a lot of really deeply rooted cultural values and practices that that aren't always necessarily in touch with the land and what's doing best for the land and the environment. Uh-huh. And I was really curious to widen my perspective to, to experience um, places and peoples that had that connection intact. And not that that's not possible there, but uh-huh. I think I was in a point where I was wanting to gain some outside experience and perspective and explore some things. Um, I okay. think that, and, and then the reasons for choosing this place were because some of the history of relating with food and the land is still really intact and the indigenous wisdom of the Hawaiian people that's still um, alive here today. Well, I mean, isn't there a cross-culture on the East Coast um, where the people from England came and they contacted or they were in touch with the Indians who taught them how to grow uh, their way? That's lost. No, I don't think it's lost, but I think um, like the Wampanoag is a tribe that was, you know, very populated, at least in like the Cape Cod area okay, of Massachusetts yeah. and things. And, and there's for sure other native tribes that are still there. Uh, I don't want to minimize at all their, right. their livelihood. Uh-huh. But I think that um, the level of colonization that happened, that happened there and that happened so deeply so long ago, it's really um, created a very limited space for those practices to really be in the forefront of outdated? community and culture. Not outdated, but maybe there hasn't been adequate um, space generated in the mainstream society or in the school systems uh-huh. or in the culture in general for those practices to yeah. be in their rightful position of honoring and acknowledgement of that deep wisdom mm. oh, you in, in a mainstream way. Yeah. 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 You mentioned uh, colonization that ha- had an impact on those cultures. And I think you were drawing a parallel to the uh, the Hawaiian society and colonization uh, that took place. Because I know I I was talking about uh, the Pakolea Gulch, that's a stream above Kapanaya. Uh, Dr. Ke- uh, Theodore Kelsey in the 1930s. I, I met the guy. Well, when I met him, it was like in his 80s. But he, uh, with a planning table, mapped out all the lo'is along Pakolea Gulch. And I counted them on the map. And they numbered uh, 200. Uh, these were like 200 lo'is. And I could just imagine the amount of food that it produced. I mean, you know, there I s- I, I, I've seen the lo'is there. Uh, my friend Mark Kinoshita, the Sam, Henry and Sam, they have their lo'i over there. Uh, they're not really huge, you know, but you know when you multiply it by uh, two hundred, well, that's a lot of food. But then they're all fell. I mean, they're there in the hull, in the hull jungle, in the bush and whatnot. And I, I kind of wonder, like, well, what happened? You know, what, 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 you know, like, yeah, sugar came in, but what happened to the people that 
grew the grew the taro and who were self reliant, you know, and sustained their lifestyle. I don't know. I think that was part of it uh, that you're talking about the colonization. Yeah, I think definitely. I think it's um, global. We've seen colonization happen around the world, and I think it would be um, a little bit ignorant of me, you know, as a white woman to not acknowledge the impact that that's had um, in different parts of the world and, and in the community where, where uh, we live today. So I think you're right in that. And I don't have as much of the historical context. I can't speak for exactly what that was like here for Hawaiians to go through that experience. Well, I don't know if it was that much of a difference. I mean, from the East Coast, and the indigenous tribes that were there. You know, I, th I think throughout the world, with, you know, Manifest Destiny, you know, the Go West Young Man, and, you know, uh, that, that's our destiny. And, you know, they're bringing in a, a worsened consciousness of, well, this is how things work. This is how things operate, you know. Uh, and and so, so we're having this discussion on food sovereignty, right? and trying to get back to what existed before. You know, and the reason why I, 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 I like this topic is that, uh, you know, we talked about food security, or you mentioned food security you're up in Vermont, and people were pretty self-reliant, self-sustaining. Yeah, as individuals, there's a lot of resilience and kind of, you know, you gotta be pretty rugged to sort of make it through the winter and, you know, all that kind of, environmental and weather stuff that can impact your life, but also um, the systems that they have as a, as a state organized around creating food access for those that may not be able to afford healthy foods or in terms of emergency food storage. They just have some really great systems for implementing food to the, to the community. So I think, you know, in alignment with that conversation around colonization, looking at where we are today, it's food sovereignty and food security is not only an individual conversation and choice and sort of practice, but it really takes the systems level approach if we want to create more equitable access to healthy foods today because we've seen decreased access to land and water and um, some of these traditional ways that, that structures that supported people to practice. That's one of the problems that they talk about here in Kohala, the, uh, lack of uh, access to water, uh, land that is affordable, yeah. I asked Kavika a question, I asked him, uh, what does food security mean to you? You remember that, Kavika, when I asked you that question? No. You know, okay, well anyway, I asked her that question, yeah. And I said, what does food security mean to you? He says, well, having access to foods that I, that I eat. And I said, what, strawberries, blueberries, what, you know, kale? And he said, no. I said, like what then? He said, taro, sweet potatoes. And then I went, bingo. He's talking about uh, sovereign foods, indigenous foods that uh, his ancestors uh, ate. Well, I don't I don't. Tr try from talking to your mic. I, I don't so much follow that sovereignty. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. Try to make your mic good, bro. How? Let me press my key. No. You know, because... Uh, you were speaking, uh, I'm, I'm I hearing yeah. is, her term is more modernized. Uh, in case of emergency storage, uh, you have uh, prepared yourself for, like the antlers for winter. Uh, well, 
throw a term, but uh, oh, because of the the season of them. Yeah, you know they, they get to know or they learn from their parents, and it's passed down through the generations. Um, then new or modern uh, org organized uh, agriculture, they deplete the soil so far, where that the same amount of food if we eat that, we get half the amount of nutrients. Uh, oh, like an apple is not an apple anymore. Well like an uh, apple a day is no longer going to keep the doctor away. Because yeah. that apple is worthless. Don't, nothing nutritious about it. Right? Most so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's what I read. So, if the worm gets all the nutrition, then what do we get? They <laughs> fill your stomach. The chemical Space. residue from the pesticides oh, that they oh. sprayed on. Oh, okay. Oh, oh, oh the wax. Yeah. Ah. The, the wax, the apples. Got it. Okay. Oh, anyway, okay. So anyway, I asked about food security, right? Yeah. So sovereignty would be... Uh, yeah, the kind of indigenous food? foods, bro. Okay, so oh, you know what, California I, would have different kind of sovereignty foods. Oh, yeah, because the Indians are over there, right? Okay. The indigenous people. Well, you know what? You got to remind me. I was... Uh, you know, people actually listen to this program. I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> I was at the store, and this lady says, oh, I listened to your program. And I went, really? <laughs> you know, anyway, this guy said, Jeff, he said, I listened to your program. Mm. She says, but you know what? When you speak pigeon, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes I'll slip in and out of it. So, yeah. know, try to remind me. Okay. But, you know, I was going to tell you, Leslie, that, uh, you know, the, the buzzword is food security. What is food security to you? Good question. Hmm. This is only a one-hour program. <laughs> Don't take too much time. Okay, I think um, I haven't I haven't pre-thought about a definition for this, but I think food security is having access to to foods and to ways of I don't know if that's accessing or producing or securing those foods that are going to be sustaining us as mm. individuals and as a community. So researching could be uh, a type of sovereignty food. Uh, you know, recognizing weeds, well, edible. Definitely. Yeah, you know. Yeah, you know that. I mean, you know, you, you oh. at times you point out stuff to me. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, but it's, well, it, it's, it's foods that our, our ancestors, indigenous ancestors, mm -hmm. uh, is what they used to sustain themselves. Yeah. And, you know, the thing I, I, I feel that's so important because, you know, we talk about food security. Yeah. I mean, you know, y you go to these presentations or you go to these uh, forums or what, and, you know, the topic might be uh -huh. food or agriculture or whatnot. And people talk, oh, food security, you know. We're importing 90% of our food. We've got to grow more of our food. We've got to have food security. <laughs> right? Yeah? <laughs> yeah, so well, you're drinking a 75 a can of soda. Whatever. But then the question I'm going to ask you what is food insecurity? <laughs> yeah. What is food insecurity? Um, I'm going to tell you. <laughs> yeah. When you think about it, what is f we talk about food security. We've got to be, you know, we've got to secure our food chain and all that kind of stuff. But what is food insecurity? And this is what really s jumped out at me. And it says, and you know, I got this information from, you know, this food security sovereignty is something happening worldwide. You know, with 
indigenous peoples from all over. Okay, and uh, if you're in a studio, you see my hands flying all over the place. But food insecurity is when you don't have enough money to buy the healthy foods you need, or if you have to skip meals because you don't have enough money to buy more food. That's so food insecurity. Money is the bottom line. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. How about area or? You know, we were meant to. Well, let me let me give you a good okay. example. Uh, right. I'm really working towards the point here. That one of the uh, killers, besides heart disease, cancer, and all that, for uh, Hawaiians, Native Hawaiians, is diabetes. Yeah. You know. And it, they, in fact, they did a whole diabetes uh, project here in Kuala about 15 years ago. And people go pool blood and all that. It was very interesting, interesting. But three out of five Hawaiians will contract diabetes, guarantee, not even a question. Okay. And then in Waianae, they did this study, and they got 20 participants. Okay. And they had, uh, there were those on insulin, that had to take insulin, and had uh, type 2 diabetes. And this doctor, his name was Shintani. Okay. And he put together uh, what's become known as a Waianae diet. And the people, all they ate was sovereignty foods. Taro, kalo, sweet potatoes, ulu, uh, limited amounts of chicken, limited amounts of fish, uh, luau leaf, haha. You know, all this indigenous, that's all they ate. Three meals. They were prepared for them. Boy, yeah. Okay, so that's all they ate for one month. Mm. At the end of one month, uh, no one had type 2 di diabetes. The people had insulin. They didn't have to take insulin. And so when we look at these foods, yeah, and I think Le Leslie was uh, alluding to this, that they were not only healthy, but they're medicinal to a point. So these guys, at the end of 30 days, they didn't have diabetes. Yeah. 30 days later, I mean, the program ended. Yeah, power already. You got to make your own food now. Okay. 30 days later, these guys had diabetes again. And the reason for that is, very simply, they didn't have access to taro, sweet potatoes, or too expensive. Cannot afford. Yeah. And so they ended up back where they started from. That was my point. Oh, go ahead. If they don't have uh, land to grow their own food or a uh, uh, house with a uh, uh, large enough yard to have a garden. Easy access. You don't come home, work in a garden. So you come home, travel 10 miles, go to the garden. Uh, it's a lot of time and energy. If... Uh, Oahu has become more of one city island than an island with different counties. I remember growing up, I knew where the boundaries were. Now you cannot define, well, I can't define what is Kailua and where Kaneohe starts. It's just one big jungle. I mean, homes, departments, uh, stores, strip malls. We have to grow food on um, concrete. 
Go ahead. We, we have, um, that brought up for me, just another partner that we've had the opportunity to work with is a group from Waimanalo, um, Kikula Nui o Waimanalo, and they have a program called Malama Aquaponics. And so they've shared with us here and set up a bunch of aquaponic systems here for families in Kohala. And we have one at the Resource Center, if anyone ever wants to come well, uh, check it out. What is that? Without so soil? The, the bottom um, is a big tank of water and has tilapia fish inside. Okay. And then there's a small pump that's plugged into electricity that pumps the water up from the fish tank and then pumps that into grow beds, usually with cinders, so, so soilless, uh -huh. but okay. you can plant all your your crops in there it's it's harder to get like big corms of kalo or big roots like that but yeah. all the green things that you eat or if you wanted to grow your luau leaf or your sweet potato leaf or uh -huh. we grow all our like, greens for our salads at lunch and cucumbers and herbs oh. and things like that and so you know they they started that in waimanalo where people maybe didn't have as much access to land but could, could still have, land, have a way yeah. to come home and grow food so uh -huh. I the, think the, the fish mm -hmm. waste is what fed the vegetables. Yeah, right? the, the fish food. waste fertilizer fertilizes the vegetables, and then the vegetables filter the water so that the water that goes back into the fish pond it's is clean. clean. Mm. Yeah, actually, or else it would be poisonous to the fish. It would be too high in the nitrogen, yeah, yeah. and the fish get sick. Yeah. Yeah. I saw things on larger scale, like the fronds, and water coming filtering down through pigs and ducks, and no, this thing is real simple. Yeah. It's it seems simple, I should say. Yeah, I mean, it's just another way that, you know, there's multiple levels, I think, that we can look at this conversation, right? It's sort right. of like, even on the individual level of the choice, you know, and speaking of apple, am I going to uh. choose to eat an apple or am I going to choose to eat the Cheetos? Or maybe yeah. an apple is not a great example, but am I going to eat the papaya that's growing in the yard or am I going to uh -huh. buy something right. at the store to Get eat? The sugar. So for me, food sovereignty starts on that, on that level choices. of what we in our bodies it doesn't mm -hmm. necessarily start there but that's just one element of the way that that we can look at that conversation uh -huh. so because sometimes yeah. we don't have access to a place to grow food right. or we've been but here you know when i came here uh the gulches uh, if you knew where the food was growing you didn't have to have it in your yard or you could have access to it but uh um well won't you expand upon that point because that's really important when the people had access to Malka, uh -huh. you could go and you know where to get Ho'il. Yeah. You know where to get Kakuma. You knew, yeah, yeah Kakuma. Yeah. Uh, I was talking to Joe Chang Jr. Who don't have Kakuma now. He said wiped out. Yeah. Something wiped it out. But there were places where you could get water, Chris. Yeah. You could go get Koihivi uh, uh, Opai, right? You could get yeah, the Opai. Different kinds of, well, you know, yeah. those foods are really plentiful back to uh -huh. the plantation days in the 70s. Yeah. You know, when I first came here, it was yeah, tons choke, of it. Choke, choke. Yeah. I mean, people prided themselves on being able to. I remember they would say, no matter what happened, we would never starve. Yeah. You know. That's right. Yeah, you could go down the beach. Nice thought. Yeah. Yeah. They were, they were proud of that fact. Yeah. That they were self reliant. They were independent. There was no food stamps, uh -huh. there was no social security office. You know, when I got here, it uh, was a shame. What, bro? You you cannot go hunt. You don't know how to fish. <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah. I mean, jeez. Where you grew up. Yeah, everybody could do that, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, oh, how hard to pick up here. But, uh, yeah, so people are very self-reliant. They had access. Uh-huh. And I think that's part of it, access to sovereignty foods, you know. And the thing I, I'm going to take off at another point, I want to uh, pay tribute 
So a good friend of mine was uh, Bert Kano mm-hmm. Senior. Uh-huh. Yeah. Great guy. I, I was so saddened by when he died. I mean, it was like out of the blue. I couldn't believe it. I still don't believe it. Uh-huh. But anyway, uh, there's this rancher. Uh, his last name is Gomes. And he, he got in touch with me. He says, Jeff, can you help me? Yeah. He says, I have this cattle. And can you help me get this property to run my cattle? And he says, I want you to do something for me, too. So I met him. We went down to Kapanaya. And uh, we went to the uh, edge of the ocean between Kapanaya and Hapu. Okay. And he said, you see this, Jeff? He said, he fenced the land off so he didn't go right up to the edge. You know, it was like, I don't know, 50 feet back or maybe longer. And just through uh, nature itself, the hollow trees started to grow. And there was like, you know, just, I call them patches of laukahi plantain. They had uhuoloa. I mean, mm. oh, man. You know, they had all these uh, native plants. And he said, Jeff, you know, uh, I'm, not, uh, I'm running cattle, but I'm not going to fence. I'm going to leave this place open. Can you, would you be willing to plant native plants? So, yeah, you know, I said, shoot, let me call Bert. And, yeah, we're going to do this thing. And we had connected with the Waikolo Dry Forest people. And they went out to come up and, you know, see and bring plants and whatnot. And I uh, brought some other guys. They said, oh, yeah, you know, they could, see, uh, Ava would grow here. And, and, you know, all kinds of sugar, you know, whatever. And, well, of course, then he died and then the pandemic hit. But I think when I'm talking about sovereignty foods, I think I also like to talk about medicinal sovereign, you know, sovereign plants as well. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you use laukai for? You're the lao guy. Uh, laukai is for your kidneys or cleansing your liver. How do you do that? Uh, you make a tea or... You dry it out or what? You can or you can have it uh, fresh. And there are two types of laukai. Right. The, the broadleaf. Yeah, the broadleaf. Broadleaf is uh, makai and... Uh, Narrow leaf is Malka. Malka. Oh, I didn't know that. And they are also, uh, as far as remedies, uh, the same plant will not treat a, a male and a female. Um, you have to you have either have access to the mountain or the ocean variety and use that. You know, there's a lot of things too. But, you know, besides food, yeah, there's we're also talking about medicinal plants. Yeah. And that it's good to eat. That plantation, uh, that plantain, tastes tastes like uh, spinach, but it's got a fiber oh, yeah. in it. You oh, I didn't know. Cut that. it fine. Yeah, yeah. it's delicious. I, I remember this. Uh, my classmate, uh-huh. her grandson was going to Kohalai, and I saw her one day. She said, "Oh, what's the matter, Jeff?" I said, well, "What's the matter? Your eyes are all red." <laughs> and I told her, "Yeah, no, I don't do that. Itchy, yeah." And she said, oh, you know what? You go home. Yeah. You go pull out uh, seven tea leaf stems. The stems, yeah. Oh. And, you know, got the white part. Yeah. She says, you know, break that off. Get seven, smash them up in a bowl of water. Mm. Smash them up real good. And then bathe your eyes in it. You know, it's something as simple as that. I mean, tea leaf is like all over, right? Yeah. So it's honohono. What? You can use honohono for that. Really? Same yeah. thing. Oh, wow. Well, different types, you know, they got the uh, variegated, they got the common, uh, 
pinch the end and you squeeze it until the uh, sap comes out. Yeah. You put it into the corner of your eye. Yeah. And as it flows across your, your eyeball. Soothing. It's soothing and it collects all the dust that the particles are allowed in there. This is hono hono. Yep. Well, we feed the pigs with that. Yeah. Yeah. Why do you think they look so good? <laughs> well, I guess they taste pretty good too, yeah. No, but you know what I'm talking about. It's like besides food. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, we should also look at medicinal medicinal plants that actually grow wild, uh-huh. like laukai. This laukai was, man, it was like a carpet. Yeah. The uhuhaloa uh-huh. is, uh, they use it, they make a tea out of it, and it's an anti-inflammatory. And my friend, Dane Silva, Dr. Dane Silva, he's a chiropractor at Lobin Lobin, he's all kinds of stuff. Very intelligent man. They have on Facebook Kupuna Strong. That if you want, you can join Kupuna Strong, and it's a group of people. And what they do is uh, it's all about medicinal plants, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, they're really high on uhu law. And what they do is they make a tea. This is for COVID. Yeah, this is what they found for you know what's that? COVID, right? Yeah. Yeah. They make a tea. And they spray them to the back of the throat. And it's anti-inflammatory. And that's what they use. You know, interesting things like that. Mm-hmm. But if you were to see Uhaloa, you'd probably dig them up because it's so weak. Yeah. 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 But anyway, Not knowing what it was. I, I got my two cents in. Anyway, uh, <laughs> Leslie, we want to get back to you. I just want to acknowledge, you know, since you brought Uncle Bert into the conversation, you know, what an amazing mentor he was for me. Um mm. And I'm just so thankful to have experienced his kindness and generosity and that expression of um, of really of love and welcoming. And, you know, there was never a time where I didn't eat something delicious at his house or he didn't send me home with some laula or some meat or uh-huh. so just, um, you know, these these examples of folks who just live in this way. And it's not an effort and it's not something we even need to talk about. It's just a way of life. And so. I see that um, so prevalent here in Kohala that I just want to uplift that there's still so much of, of this practice happening. That's really beautiful. You know, you said something that I thought was really beautiful about describing a person. And you said, without any effort. And that, that's what Bert was. Was always, nah, no, no worry, I get him. I get him, right? You know, it's like, no matter how busy it was, it was like, nah, I always get time for you. And, uh, yeah, thanks for that. Uh, we're going to take a short break. We're sitting here with Les- Leslie Nugent and Kavika, and we're talking about food sovereignty and a lot of other stuff. And uh, we're going to listen to the Live family, Kiokia Paka. Oh. 
completed. Uh, hey, aloha, we're back again uh, with uh, Leslie Dutchin and Kavika. That was uh, the Lim family, uh, Kiokea Paka. You know, Kiokea is at uh, Beach Park uh, down by Newley. And I remember this were all the uh, Newley kids, the Kapelielas, uh, the Pules, and the, you know, all those, uh, the Hussies. <laughs> you know, and they learned to swim uh, uh, along the boulders. You know, there's no sand over there. And they'd be swimming with, you know, the latest uh, swimwear. You know, white T-shirt and cut-off jeans, <laughs> and they'd be swimming in the bowlers. You know, catching waves and whatnot. Yeah. Was, that, that's how they uh, that's how they learn, and uh, kil- that's what I I know of Kilkeapaka. You know, <laughs> those kids uh, swimming in in the rocks, but hey, they're having fun. But yeah, they all had you know white T-shirt and cut-off jeans. That was uh, you know that was styling back then. Oh. But anyway, we're back and uh, <laughs> we're talking about. Uh, we're oh. talking about food security, and even to the point of food insecurity. And I had, during the break, I, I was asking uh, Leslie and Al, we've got about 10 minutes left, um, you know, that I noticed there were like long lines of cars that were, you know, in line to get a food box or a package of food. And I was thinking, like, well, why is, well, how come? What was the reasons for that, you think? Oh, well, you know, uh, times have changed, so it's people. Some things change, some don't. Uh, my father's generation, uh, he went fishing. If there was no work, he'd gather food, uh, feed the family, take care of family first. Uh, now the uh, perception of what the parent's job or Responsibility. Well, I know we had the pandemic, though. Well, people yeah. People weren't working. Um, but there's two things that were possible. You, know, you didn't have to go to work. Uh, if you knew how to fish or grow or, you know, get food. Um, uh, now I think people have lost track of how to feed themselves, let alone feed somebody else. Interesting. Uh, is there as much fish as there used to be? Oh, um, they don't know how to gather. We wouldn't know what uh, an avocado, what kind of tree it would be on. They know what it looks like in the store. But you could walk right by under the tree and not see it on the ground. Oh, keep going. Um, I, I, I don't know how to answer that question. Yeah, well, I don't know. That's something. What about you, Leslie? Well, you know, I think my radio debut was, um, <laughs> I was here with Tracy Figueroa and Rhonda Bell, and we were talking about some of the food distribution programs that we were evol- involved in at the onset of the pandemic and continue to be today. Um, we work monthly in partnership with the Sacred Heart Food Basket in their monthly food distribution. Mm-hmm. Um, and the focus that we bring there is really trying to support um, island farmers to get their produce, like to purchase their produce to distribute to um, families in Kohala who are coming to the Sacred Heart Food Basket. Just that key emphasis on things that are fresh. So when we can, you know, sweet potato and papaya and lettuce and tomato and onion and um, different things that folks can take home to cook with. And I think that the pandemic kind of underscored 
the need that was already there for a lot of folks. And I don't know exactly what the reasons are. You know, I, mm. I did study sociology, so I'll have to put that cap on to really <laughs> analyze, you know, what are the, the factors contributing to folks' lack of access to these healthy foods um, or just foods in general, adequate, food. ad adequate nutrition in general. Um, and we talked about things like expenses and with the rising costs of food going up or the mm. lack of knowledge, lack of access, lack yeah. of space to grow. Um, even if you do maybe have a yard, is the, is the housing secure? You're going to be able to be there when it's time to harvest that food. So I think there's uh, many factors that contribute to people's needs. But I think even in that conversation, um, by, by providing food for folks, even if it's at no cost to them, they then again have a have a choice of how of, of how they want to consume those foods and a lot mm -hmm. of the foods that are provided there there's yeah. there's always rice like i said we're bringing vegetables so they have a, ch a choice to go home and then prepare those things which to me in there's an act of of sovereignty in that too right like i'm going to be a, i'm going to be autonomous and responsible for for feeding myself and feeding my family and there's right. a level of personal accountability in that so um, I think that kind of regardless of which aspect of the food system we're looking at, we can look at how we can make those choices um, to start making small shifts. I think we touched on it uh, partially when uh, it was mentioned that fertilizer, you know, everything, the price is going to the roof. And now with the uh, social unrest between countries, uh, Russia is the largest producer of fertilizer mm -hmm. in the world. And we're going to mess up with them. Uh, we better get talking to this Korean guy that... That's the show. Yeah. Um, Let's talk. Yeah. Remember that old saying? Uh, oh, there's an old saying. And my wife's uncle, Uncle Takio, he lived in Waipio Valley. Uh. And they're very self-sufficient people down there. They're very self-reliant. And he would tell us, uh, no work, no eat. Yeah. yeah. You don't work. No, what are you going to eat for? You never work. Uh -huh. You know, but I'm, I'm not trying to get to that point. But, you know, you feed a man a fish. You give a man a fish a day. Yeah. You feed him for the day, right? Right. And so teach him how to fish. You teach him how to fish, he'll feed himself for a lifetime. And so I kind of look at it like, what are we doing to help people to become self-reliant? Mm. Yeah. And I remember sitting here with... Uh, the uh, civil defense director. Yeah. Homage Magdal. And we're talking about, oh, yeah, hurricanes, whatnot, civil defense. You know, and then he went into the subject matter. He says, you know, there's, uh, we've we got to be better prepared, people. And he said, you know, there's, uh, uh, there's church groups that for generations they've been involved in food storage. And it's not like, you know, apocalypse now, mm -hmm. Armageddon, end of the world. But what happens if there is uh, a pandemic like we had, yeah. and you cannot work? Yeah. Seems like we're getting back to back. Now there's this monkey thing. I don't know. Okay, well, but yeah. the, th the, the thing is, you cannot work, you know, uh, yeah. you're not going to get paid, right? Right. How are you going to eat? Yeah. So how are you going to eat? Well, if you had... These guys, uh, the food storage program that he was pointing out, uh -huh. they store food for like three months, six months, even up to a year. Yeah. So if you have food to eat, yeah. you know, I'm not saying get, don't get in the line or anything, uh -huh. but if you have food to eat, you know, your, your family becomes uh, self-reliant. Yeah. 
you don't have to spend money to go buy food because you have food. You can feed your family. You can feed more people that are not able to feed themselves. Well, you could do that. Mm. But, you know, and one example that we used was like, and this may kill some people out there, but, you know, a can of Spam can last three to five years in the can mm. on your shelf. Three to five years, that's pretty long. But, you know, that was our sovereignty food growing up because we were poor. Spam and cabbage, corned beef, mm. right? Yeah. That's what we ate, man. Yeah. With rice, or so poi was cheap. You could go down Kamuki uh, poi market at night. Yeah. You bring a pot, yeah, and they go, "How much you like? Twenty-five cents worth." The guy would scoop up, slam them in a pot, off you go. Twenty-five cents worth of poi. Wow. That's a lot of poi. Yeah. Had them all over, Kapuulu. Yeah. Yeah, but you know what I'm talking about is somehow we gotta insert. How do you become self-reliant? How do you? And I think food storage. Yeah, is is part of that, uh. you know, beginning to. I mean, I'm not talking about hoarding. No, I'm talking like you know, just buying a little bit extra as you go along. Go uh, ahead. I met a person who was uh, living in Alaska for a while, and people would can use jars, the canning jars, mason jars, uh, salmon for up to a year. In it, huh? He said, well, you know, the lid is what's going to give it away. It starts with us. But the glass doesn't. I mean, you know, it's sustainable. And you have learned uh, what spices or the amount of salt to use to pickle it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Incredible. You're up in Vermont, right? right? Yeah, so that's really like the next level when you're talking about food storage and canned foods and things is is can we be canning our foods? Or you you mentioned Nakalaiva'a at the beginning and then... I know and they've done some amazing work just in a little bit that I've been exposed to in terms of um, on these most recent voyages and, and they're doing education around the islands around, you know, even canning chicken and making like dehydrated luau stew and all these different things mm. that can be stored yeah. but are still not necessarily things we're buying in the store but we can grow and process and preserve. Yeah. That's when an exciting I, conversation. When I was a young boy, uh, we had... An icebox. It wasn't a refrigerator. Uh, milkman usually brought the ice, a block of ice, put it on top of the refrigerator, and that that cool air would go down and keep the the food from spoiling. Uh, but there was also salting. So we salted our pork, salted beef. The uh, indigenous Hawaiians were experts at food storage. I mean, totally, they were experts. I mean, in, in drying foods, in preserving oh. foods. I remember when they're, the hokulea, they're getting the hokulea ready to travel to Haiti. And my friend was in charge of, uh, she was on, a, on the board. And they were looking at how are they preserving foods. And I remember sitting at her house and she brought this little bundle, this lahala, wrapped up in a square, in a cube. She says, here. I said, what's that? I said, ulu. And Took it apart, and the thing was dark brown, mm. sweet. Oh, it's ono. And she said, that's one year old. You know, just wrapped the way they wrapped it in lohala to preserve it. So, you know, I know they were experts at it. I know. Anyway, uh, the hour is up, Leslie. <laughs> but I have to ask you the last question. We always ask uh, our guests, what would you tell our youth today? 
Good question. Um, you know, the, the words of Uncle David come to mind, which is, you want them, you make them, you broke them, you fix them, which just, it's <laughs> not exactly in relation to this, but in terms of, you know, if there's foods you like to eat and things that you want to be strong, then learning how to grow, hunt, gather, and continuing mm-hmm. those practices is going to be the best thing, not only for, for you, but for your friends and your family. And uh-huh. I think that's what brings true, true um, wealth. Keep kohala, kohala. Yeah. I want to thank you, Leslie, for being here this evening. And uh, as always, kavika, mahalo. And uh, we're going to be seeing you guys next Thursday, uh, I think. Uh, next Thursday is August 11th. Yeah, same place, same time. Hopefully, mm. and uh, I want to just thank you guys for listening in. Do you have any suggestions? Uh, you know, keep them to yourself. And you know, <laughs> now I always welcome. I, I want to meet people and says, "Oh, Jeff, that was really great." You know, I wish you guys would talk about this. But anyway, uh, we'll see you next Thursday. And aloha. Until then, malama pono. Take care. And, uh,